Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths at the heart of worship. For the very reason that He is the Creator, He deserves worship. You understand? Anyone who doesn't, he's in direct rebellion against God, like Satan. They're saying, I'm God, to an extent. And if you say there is no God, then you become your own God. Pride, pride, pride. That's the heart of it. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What does it take to stand up against God? And the better question, what are the consequences? Today, Pastor Xavier illustrates how there's really no upside to the prideful heart of man as he presents a glaring example of the perils of pride. It's not only the cause of the fall of both the ancient king and kingdom of Tyre, but the ultimate demise of Satan as well. Let's join him for today's intriguing lesson from his study in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28, we're going to look at verses 1 through 19, and the message entitled, O Lucifer, You Deceiver. The judgment of the king of Tyre is revealed to us along with the fall of Lucifer, An incredible unveiling found nowhere else in Scripture. Let me read here. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus saith the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up, and you say, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. Yet you are a man and not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. Your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and trade, you have increased your riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defy your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. You will still say before him who slays you, I am a God, but you shall be a man and not a God. In the hand of him who slays you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of the aliens. For I have spoken, thus saith the Lord. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone as your covering, the sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your tablets and pipes were prepared for you in the day that you were created. You were the anointed chair who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defile your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your tradings. Therefore, 
I brought fire from your midst. I devoured you. I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. The judgment of the king of Tyre is described for us in these three events. Uh, first, you have the fall of the king of Tyre, verse 1 through 10. Secondly, the origin of evil that really is behind Tyre, verses 11 down to the first part of 15. And then you have the fall of Satan, the remainder of 15 down to 19. The fall of the king of Tyre is a natural next step. He's already given us uh, in chapter 26 the um, judgment of the city. We've seen that incredible prophecy. Uh, in 27, he's going to give us the judgment of the commerce that uh, made her so wealthy. Now comes the judgment of the king of Tyre. The three chapters go together. Now, notice the king of Tyre fell because of pride. It was due to pride. Verse 1 and 2 gives us this. The authority behind the revelation is God. Notice again, through the prophet Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to him again, saying, no different. It's the same old thing. I hope you don't get tired of that phrase. It's to ensure to you that this is God speaking, not a man. The prophet Ezekiel again addresses the ruler. This is the word here for prince of Tyre. Verse 2, God told Ezekiel to reveal his knowledge of the prideful heart of the king. Son of man, frail human man, like any other, Ezekiel, say to the prince of Tyre, thus saith the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up. You see, there's a danger with pride and position and money and power. We think somehow that no one knows what we do. And we can do what we want. And God sees clean through it. He sees the heart. And all that stuff, if, if we're not Christians, it corrupts us. And if we're Christians, we don't watch it, it still corrupts us. You understand? Nothing wrong with those things. It's the heart. The evil of the heart. The pride. Now, King... Ezbaal, the second, was a very proud man. This is the king at the time that Ezekiel is writing. Uh, verse 2, verse 5, verse 17 gives us the pride over and over again. Verse 17 deals with the pride of Satan, but there's a parallel there. We'll see it. Tyre was known as the holy island and thought to arise like a rock throne of God. You know, sometimes people get so caught up in their humanness and the achievements of man, and they just, they think they get to this point of deification. It's even crept into the church. Uh, uh, way back in the mid-80s, uh, we started, they started publishing that whole doctrine of we are little gods, uh, through the positive confession and everything. And you're not little gods. That's the same lie that Satan made Adam and Eve fall for. You're a man. That's Mormon doctrine, by the way. Notice God quotes the king's prideful words of blasphemy. And you say, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. And the word for God there is El. It's used for the chief deity of the Canaanites. Often pagan kings saw themselves as appointed and directed by their gods. Now, notice God reminds the king he is but a man. Yet you are a man and not a God. Though you set your heart as the heart of a God. You may think you're something, but you're not. You're a man. Look at verse 3 through 5. The king of Tyre proclaimed his great boasting. And God spoke to him in mocking his very words. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. 
There is no secret that can be hidden from you. And their exclamation points, you know, this is a fact. This is what he was saying. He compared himself to Daniel in his arrogance. Daniel had already been uh, known very prominent by the wisdom that God had given them in the palace. And this man compares himself. He's ungodly and all that. He compares himself to a godly man that is being directed by God. Verse 4 and 5, God reveals that his wisdom is no wisdom at all, but foolishness that led to his destruction. This is always the case. You be careful if God gives you wisdom, prominence, uh, uh, success. You be careful where that leads. God says he lived for money. Listen, verse 4. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. Now, is there anything wrong with having a bank account, having a savings, making some retirement? No. But if you put your heart and your trust in that for it, let me tell you, it takes a long time for those little suckers to add up, but God can take them away in one second. You understand? Nothing wrong with the things. It's, it's what we let things do to us, the heart. Look at verse 5. God said his business knowledge made him richer and his wealth puffed up his head. By your great wisdom and trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. And pretty soon, a person starts living and thinking and acting as if they're superior. They've got some kind of edge on other people. You know how people don't have it together. You know they should make it. I don't understand. The king of Tyre would be judged by God. Look at verse 6 through 10. The indictment of the king was for impersonating God. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God. He's deified himself. The verdict to the king is to be judged by other nations. Verse 7. God would be the one judging the king through them. Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you. God will use the fearful nation. Notice that in verse 7. To humble him, the most terrible of nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. Instant. All of a sudden, boom, gone. As you know, God used Babylon through Nebuchadnezzar for 13 years to seize the city. We saw that in the previous study. That great prophecy of Tyre. Yet, he took no spoil because for 13 years they were taking all the luxury and all the valuable and all the wealth out to the island city a half mile out. So when he took it, he had nothing. But 241 years later, he brought Alexander the Great. And he took all the stones as we saw, all the timber, scraped the location of the city like the top of a rock, took all the dust and threw it into the ocean, and he made a causeway out and destroyed the city of Tyre, which has never been built in the same location. The island city is out, but not the main, mainland city to this day. Interesting, because we're going to have a prophecy against Sidon. Sidon never said it was going to never be rebuilt. It's there, but not Tyre, the main city. Interesting. Look at verse 8. Now, we saw that in Ezekiel 26, 1 through 14, both of those fulfillments. Verse 8, the eternal destiny of the king of Tyre would be Sheol, 
They shall throw you down into the pit, and the pit here is that dungeon or, 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 or cistern, but it's, it's being used as a metaphor for shield, the place of departed spirits. We saw that in our last study in chapter 26. You shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the sea. The lamentation for the city and the response of the people, if you remember, was one of being stunned, fearing the loss of their protection and finances because now Tyre was gone, Ezekiel 26, 15 through 18. But the flip side of that, in contrast, was the response of God in vindication and confirmation of his glory, never allowing the city to be ever built again. Ezekiel 26, 19 through 21. So what a different response. People look at their wallet. God looks at his vindication. (laughs) He's on the throne. Look at verse 9 and 10. The reality that he was a mere man would become evident at his destruction. Notice God again mocks the king. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God? But you shall be a man and not a God in the hand of him who slays you. It is amazing how arrogant some men and women could be because of their position in that. And then when Something happens to them that they think it could never happen to them. They, they, all of a sudden, they're gripped with fear like everybody else because nothing can get them out of it. You understand? And they realize, oops, I'm like all others. Wow. Look at 10. God had decreed his death. You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of the aliens. For I have spoken, saith the Lord God. Once God has decreed something, it's going to happen. Now, decrees of God are twofold. First, there's the decrees of God. They run parallel. The decrees of God, they're absolute. No matter what anybody says or does, they're going to happen. The first coming, the second coming, the Antichrist, all that. Then there's the decrees of God that are given to us by choice and human responsibility that they will benefit us or be contrary to us. They're given to you salvation. It's a choice. You're not forced. So the decrees that are absolute and the decrees that have choice. And one does not affect the other. How will that can happen? We'll both ask him when we get there. That's why he's gone. One put it this way. It's a shame that when success turns a person's head, it does not also wring his neck just a little. <laughs> kind of like, you know, those, those electrical collars you put on dogs. They go too far. Oh, you know, they, they learn right away, you know. I mean, God could do that, but he doesn't. He gives us free will. But it would sure help, wouldn't it? The many types foreshadowing the ultimate appearance of the Antichrist are seen through history. The king of Tyre is a type of Antichrist. Pharaoh, Antiochus Epiphany, Herod, Nero, he was called a beast, and many, many others, as we've seen in the past. Uh, The prophet Ezekiel gives uh, the Antichrist to come three of the titles that he possesses. Uh, The first one we saw in chapter 21, 25, uh, the profane wicked prince of Israel. Uh, The second one is here, verse 2 to 10, the prince of Tyre. And the third one we'll get in chapter 38, verse 2, the prince of Meshach and Tubal. So he gives three of the titles that the Antichrist possesses. Now, the words of Jesus about the Antichrist are very revealing. We've gone through a lot of this, but just by way of review, I want to give you some things. Remember he said, I came in my father's name. 
you receive me now, there comes one in his own name, him you will receive in John 5, 43. Speaking of the Antichrist. Jesus revealed to John that he would come from the bottomless pit, directly from Satan, Revelation eleven seven. And Jesus revealed to John the power would be directly from Satan, Revelation 13, 2. This is the ultimate. He's pointing to that Antichrist. The time is pinpointed, as we've seen, through Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 gives us the rapture. As we're removed, then the Antichrist can appear. We're going to look at this closer when we get to chapter 38 and 39 uh, and 37 of Ezekiel. He will go into the temple, as you know, in chapter 2 there and declare himself to be God. Just like here, the king of Tyre. He will build that temple for the Jews, nine Daniel 9, 27, the 70th week of Daniel. In the middle, he breaks the covenant, as we've seen. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 24, 15, the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. On and on and on. He is coming. Nothing's going to stop him. The world will receive him. The world will be in a state of perplexity, anxiety, and no solutions. Look around. We're 2,000 years closer than when they first wrote this. Now, the fall of the king of Tyre was due to what? Pride. Pride. Notice secondly now, beginning verse 11, down to the first part of 15. Here we have the origin of evil. Uh, Verse 11 to the middle of 12, the king of Tyre is still being addressed. Notice, the prophetic formula marks the natural division. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying... Verse 11, there'll be one more division as um, uh, you go down um, verse 20. Um, the prophet is told to take another lamentation, this time for the king of Tyre, uh, son of man, the frail human man, Ezekiel. A lamentation for the king of Tyre as he has for others. We, we've seen many lamentations, uh, funeral dirges, uh, um, grieving and, and, and uh, lamenting. The content now that follows reveals immediately that though the material is addressed still to the earthly king of Tyre as a lamentation, it cannot be descriptive of him in many ways. The majority of the content cannot apply to him. And yet, commentators of the modern day say it's metaphorically, it's, it's speaking figuratively, and, and, and they try to interpret all these things into the wealth and vastness of his empire. You have, to, you have to twist the scriptures to do that. This is like a twofold prophecy, short-term, long-term. King of Tyre, the source of the evil behind him. You can't apply it any other way. And so I believe that this is the revelation focusing on the source of pride and the evil behind the king of Tyre, describing the fall of Lucifer. The parallels cannot be missed. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 5, verse 17. Pride, pride, pride. That's the heart of it. Now, notice from verse 12, around the end there, Lucifer was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Um, Thus saith the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Lucifer was one of a kind and above kind, none like him, the highest angel, if you will. He was the example of perfection. The word there means measurement, pattern, or portion. He was ideal but not sinless. Lucifer means 
light bearer, shining one, the morning star. Isaiah 14, 12 gives us that. So we have only three names of angels, Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. The only names we have. Which could be the head archangels for the Trinity. We're not positive, that's not revealed, but it could be. Now notice Lucifer was endowed with superb understanding as to assimilate information and gain insight for the best conclusion, which is wisdom. He was full of wisdom, meaning the fullness, the first one of the angels. In other words, he knew more and the most of all. He was number one. He was perfect in beauty, means his visage was entire, all perfect. He has an incredible creation. Look at verse 13. Lucifer was in the Eden of God. You were in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. He names all those uh, gems. The workmen of uh, your timbrels and pious were prepared for you on the day that you were created. Now, this Eden mentioned in our text has to be distinct and different from the one in Genesis 3. For here, he is perfect. The context is very important. He's perfect. In Genesis, Lucifer is fallen and appears as Satan, the deceiver. In Genesis, he is attacking God's children. In Genesis, he is opposing God. Notice this description of Lucifer in view of his position in the garden of God is under God's service. He wasn't serving God in Genesis 3. The gems that he was attired with and the gold cannot refer to Genesis 3. The seeming office ascribed here to Satan, Lucifer at that time, is that of a leader of the worship of heaven for God. Now, we're familiar with that scene in Revelation 4 and 5, right? The 24 elders and the angelic beings casting their crowns, they're all worshiping God. The word workmanship means occupation, business, or service. This was designated in the day that he was created. Notice that. These are nine of the 12 stones on the high priest's breastplates in Exodus 28, 17 through 30. Next, we see Lucifer was the number one cherub in verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Now notice Lucifer was the anointed cherub. A cherub, as you know, is an angelic being, an order that's described to us in Scripture. Uh, we've seen their seraphims, cherubims, archangels, and regular angels. Colossians 1.16 says that God created all the angels, principalities about all of them. Hebrews 1.7 and 14, they're ministering spirits to the earth's salvation to do God's bidding. Now, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 148.25, listen, that all of God's creation was to worship the Creator. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. For the very reason that he is the creator, he deserves worship. You understand? Anyone who doesn't 
He's in direct rebellion against God like Satan. They're saying, I'm God, to an extent. And if you say there is no God, then you become your own God. Pastor Xavier Reese and the perilous outcome of rebellion. Now, there's much more to this study next time, but if you won't be able to tune in, you can always pick up a copy on CD for only $4. The title to ask for is, O Lucifer, You Deceiver. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study. So once again, the title to ask for is, O Lucifer, You Deceiver, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the impact of this ministry in your area. God's Word says much about the sin of pride. Should you be concerned? Don't miss the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 